You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. In a world filled with cigars, craft beer, comics, movies, and video games, only two men are brave enough to search out all things nerdy. It's the Cigar Nerds Podcast! And welcome to the Cigar Nerds Podcast. I'm your host, Smokin' Joe. I'm Brad Jackson. So what are we smoking this week, Brad? Well, this week we are smoking the Punch Golden Era. And um, it's going to be a lot of Honduran tobacco in this guy. Um, Honduran Corojo wrapper with Honduran Corojo binders. And for the long fillers, uh, looks like you're going to have Honduran Habano and... Honduran Corojo. <laughs> it's Again. almost a Puro. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, this is all like Honduran Havana Seed Corojo. And it's kind of a throwback to the golden age of cigars because Corojo was one of like the chief, I guess, tobaccos used in Cuban cigars back in the day. And it kind of fell out of flavor. And so they're, they're this uh, one farm uh, is like Iroa. Uh, farm in Honduras has kind of tried to bring that uh, Corojo leaf back. So apparently it's one of the reasons it fell out of flavor. It's kind of hard to grow it well where, the, you know, more uh, tougher tobacco, easier to cultivate tobacco has kind of become the, the norm these days. So, yeah, so I would, I would think that modern times, style, the uh, Lajero has, yeah. you know, kind of rendered this because that's, to me, what the Corojo brings is just a a little bit of uh, spiciness. Um, not not as much as what you would think with like the Lajero or something, but yeah, you it's know, that, that more of that peppery spice uh, with the Corojo. And it's, I mean, this this it's is not very strong. It's I'm gonna say about a no. A this medium, is absolutely a medium, but I do like the spiciness. The 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 thing that strikes me and the thing about you know the, the the golden era of cigars was essentially that silkiness, the smoothness, and everything else that comes along with, you know, a, a lot of the Honduran style blends, a lot of your old Cuban blends. I mean, that's that's what you know people talk about Cuban cigars, and it's not that they're powerhouse cigars. It's just that they're well made and they're they're flavorful. They're they're smooth. They're easy smoking. You know, it's not. Or yeah. at least the OGs yeah. were like the stuff you get nowadays, eh, hit or miss. You know, anything government owned, the quality uh, goes down. But <laughs> back in the day, yeah, you just said kinda... quality and government in the same sentence. Like that's even a thing. <laughs> that's definitely an oxymoron. Well, speaking of golden a- era, we're we're this is not a new a, a new topic episode. We're gonna go to an old topic uh, this week. And we kind of agree that like the late 80s, early 90s is that golden era for action movies. And we're going to talk about the 30th anniversary of a little film called Demolition Man. Fuck, we are old. <laughs> yeah. It was like, that movie came out in 93. Fuck. <laughs> movies like that, though, scare me. Like they're getting way too close to what I think, you know. Oh yeah, we'll we'll get into forty get into years the, from now, you know. We'll, we'll get into that uh, here uh, soon. But if you've got to uh, fight off Simon Phoenix in the future, you should call in a strike force. Strikeforceenergy.com. Use your promo code Cigar Nerds for twenty percent off your order. 
get all jacked up on that caffeine because, you know, in the future, caffeine's bad for you. Hence, it's illegal. So get it now while you still can. (laughs) Uh, And with that, we'll be right back. Greed, deception, abuse of power, that's no plan. That's why everybody's down here? You got that right. See, according to Cato's plan, I'm the enemy. Because I like to think. I like to read. I'm into freedom of speech and freedom of choice. I'm the kind of guy who likes to sit in a greasy spoon and wonder, gee, should I have the T-bone steak or the jumbo rack of barbecue ribs with the side order of gravy fries? I want high cholesterol. I want to eat bacon and butter and buckets of cheese, okay? I want to smoke a Cuban cigar the size of Cincinnati in a non-smoking section. I want to run through the streets naked with green jello all over my body reading Playboy magazine. Why? Because I suddenly might feel the need to, okay, pal? I've seen the future. You know what it is? It's a 47-year-old virgin sitting around in his beige pajamas drinking a banana broccoli shake singing, I'm an Oscar Mayer wiener. You live up top, you live Cocteau's way. What he wants, when he wants, how he wants. Your other choice? Come down here, maybe starve to death. All right, then why don't you take charge and lead these people out of here? I'm no leader. I do what I have to do. Sometimes people come with me. Hey, welcome back. Time to talk 30 years of Demo Ranch. Oh, no, that's wrong. Wrong one. Demolition Man. Before we get into that, I want to say one more thing about this golden era. I like the the band on it. It's got this kind of gold tobacco leaf uh, design that uh, looks pretty sweet, kind of kind of fancy. Yeah, I like being a fancy boy. I can tell you're getting very <laughs> bougie. <laughs> Start. Start doing uh doing this show in a in a suit, and we'll do like tea reviews or some shit. <laughs> Where your pinkies out, you know, sipping uh, Earl Grey or whatever. I almost made a very bad purchase yesterday. How I many f- wheels did it have? None. <laughs> it involved spicy things. Oh, okay. It was gonna be like a box of like twenty five assorted uh. Peppers ranging from jalapeno all the way up to like primatales and stuff. Oh, speaking of which, have you seen this new thing called Hot Salt? No. This other podcast I listen to, it's one of their sponsors, uh, JT's new podcast from Black Rifle. I think it's like Time for Pie or whatever. But yeah, they got this, uh, and I can't remember the name of the company. But yeah, they make like spicy salt. So if you want to like make your shit hot without like adding actual like sauces to it, and it comes in these little metal like grinder things that look like some kind of fucking like weird futuristic toy, and you just like press it and it breaks up. You know, it dispenses your hot salt and whatever you're eating. And they got like so I don't use a lot of salt. And different stuff, layer. But... It's like you know spicy Himalayan salt or some shit. I'd be I'd be curious to try it, but I'm I'm not really a I say it doesn't take much. They're like two hits and it'll like spice up an entire like vat of stew. <laughs> I, was, I haven't, I haven't ordered any yet, but I'm, I'm interested to, I like all the spicy things. I'm interested to, to try that. Yeah. I just wanted to try some, some fresh peppers. I had some fresh jalapenos that, uh, ended up throwing on the grill for some hamburgers and hot dogs yesterday. And a couple of those were, Jalapeno can be a sneaky bastard. Like, you'll get one, and it's pretty mild, and you'll get another one that's, like, you know, just 
significantly, significantly hotter. Yeah, I smoked some uh, jalapenos um, and other stuff and made like homemade salsa the other day. And to me, it was kind of bland, but everyone else is like, oh, this is fucking hot as shit. I'm like, y'all are just pussies. Yeah, this like I gotta throw some extra hot sauce in this. <laughs> but see, I thought with a with a box of peppers, you know, you get a, you get enough hot ones in there to like. Eventually, I'm gonna develop a tolerance, right? Yeah. Like that's how that works. Yeah, like next time I do it, I think I'll throw just like one habanero in there just to kick it up a notch. <laughs> I'll be the only one eating it at that point. But yeah, like the just the regular jalapenos didn't uh, didn't do it for me. So, I mean. Now that I completely sidetracked us, this is pretty much you know, this is Barney from uh from Expendables if he didn't time travel, because he's like he pretty much dresses the same. It's it's the same outfit from the Expendables movies. Is like is this where his like passion for berets uh started was Demolition Man? Like I feel like we should be we should have berets now to record this episode. I think I've got one somewhere. I just don't know where it's at. <laughs> I don't know. Are we worthy of berets? No, we've definitely not earned any of that yeah, shit. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Like, <laughs> we know green berets are the special for Like, what's the color for like piece of shit civilians? <laughs> we need that color berets. <laughs> I feel like black's a good generic. Like, you know, it's like black is your first beret, and then you you level up as you go and get the fancy colors. Probably just be like multicam or some shit. Like. <laughs> The fuck's on your head? Find one that matches my kilt. <laughs> Could a tartan beret? Like, yeah, we're we're totally not worthy, dude. <laughs> yeah, we so put it on wrong. Back in the wee times of 1993, this is kind of that 80s action is definitely different from 90s action. Like 90s action, I th- I feel like the buddy cop era of action movies like we had lethal weapon and like everybody had to have like a straight man and and this kind of to me kind of started that with like you know sandra bullock as his his like you know sidekick uh you know they definitely had two different uh vibes so maybe this was like you know where the uh the buddy cop uh (laughs) era started I mean, there was definitely some comedy elements, you know, between the banter. I mean, you know, you've been in cryogenic stasis for, you know, 36 years or whatever. And I I, I don't know, half the time I wake up and sometimes I feel like I don't realize, you know, recognize (laughs) the world we're living in anymore. And Uh, it's only only three days has passed. Yeah, this was kind of a different way of doing a time travel movie where it was like they were frozen and not like time machines involved. <laughs> like I kind of feel like we need to take a page out of the playbook too. Do you remember when like cryogenics was like a big thing? Like everyone's I mean, like, oh man, that's still is. Like, I mean, I, I keep hearing different science things like, you know, as people pass preserving, you know, the, the body and, you know, I mean, I know people are still getting frozen, but we've not defrosted a motherfucker yet successfully that I that I know of. <laughs> now that I don't know, that I probably you know talking should, to the guy. Yeah, we CIA should have we should ask the like, CIA guy. So if we you know we talked to him about aliens, we forgot to ask him about have we unfrozen any uh, any cryo people yet? But I mean, just imagine like I mean the initial 
cryostasis, you know, to get the technology where it needs to be. But then after that, like, you don't need necessarily guards and all until you start trying to thaw motherfuckers out. <laughs> yeah, it's like they have, you know, when people come up for their parole hearing, it's like, all right, we defrost you for five minutes. Are you still an asshole? Yep. All right, back in the freezer. <laughs> but they had that, you know, interesting way of being like, all right, well, you know, you're going to take up, uh, you know, fucking crochet. What, what what kind of stitching method was that? You know? Yeah, he was like knitting and shit. He's like, they're, he's like, I, he pissed off Sandra Bullock and he's like, I knitted you this sweater as apology. I don't know how I did this. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's part of the cryogenics. Uh, uh, rehabilitation program. We they figure out what kind of future job might be suitable to their mentality, and you just get like skills downloaded, which would be kind of cool, like fucking Matrix shit. Like no, dude, because we would beat on everybody's shit list. So it'd be like, you are a human pooper scooper, but you're too <laughs> stupid to understand how to use a pooper scooper. So you're gonna pick up the shit with your mouth. <laughs> you're. Do they still have jizz moppers in the future? <laughs> No, dude, they don't allow physical touch, okay? Not like, they eradicated <laughs> AIDS, AIDS and everything, you know, just by, yeah, you, you, whatever bodily fluids you have, you keep said bodily fluids contained to, to, to yourself. Yeah, this that was the one thing about this movie. Like, I loved it when it first came out, but now, as we mentioned when, when we were talking off air, it was like, it's kind of turned prothetic in a way where it's like, I used to think this this future that the demolition I mean, man woke up in was bullshit. I'm like, now it's like, I could see us heading down that road. <laughs> this is like the ultimate end to cancel culture and woke culture. I mean, all we need is a big natural disaster like they ha- had in here to eliminate enough people that would fight against this to, you know, make someone like, you know, like Cocteau uh, be able to rise up and say, I have the solution to all your problems, and now you're fucked. <laughs> if it's bad for you, it's illegal. You know, it's illegal. We wouldn't be able to smoke cigars. Or we would, because we would definitely be part of Edgar Friendly's crew. Yeah, I- I'd definitely be like, I- I'm a sewer people. <laughs> Sign me up for the rat burger. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, that's the thing, it's like, was it Thomas Jefferson said, I prefer uh, dangerous freedom to peaceful slavery. And that's the most perfect example of what that looks like. It's like, everyone's like, oh yes, we've not had a murder since, you know, for 20 years. We've not had all these crimes. And but it's just kind of weird too. Also that to have they, zero freedom and you know, zero choice. Nothing is just murder. It's murder, death, kill. <laughs> like one eight seven. <laughs> I feel like ice cube was the number relate. that they gave me. <laughs> uh, Murder was the case that they gave me. Oh, fucking, yeah. We've grown in the 90s. We gotta go back to the, the fucking, you know, the golden era of uh, of gangster rap. Like, the modern shit all is mumbling bullshit. But, like, you know, Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, Dre. Hell, even Eminem, like, you know, the tail end of that. Like, it's like, yeah, like the 90s was, like... And we're so old now that 90s station is considered uh, classic <laughs> classic music. When you turn on the oldies station and they're playing fucking DMX and shit, you're like, God damn it. <laughs> uh, like, at what point does classic rock, as we know it, stop becoming classic rock? Then it becomes, like, classical music. 
Kind of like, uh, remember uh, one of the new Star Trek movies where they start playing Beastie Boys and he's like, ah, classical music. Because <laughs> at that point it's like 200 years old. Kick it. <laughs> uh, we're going to be the grandpas in the old folks home, like, you know, bumping shit. <laughs> you go in the old folks home now, it's like, you know, Buddy Holly and shit from the 50s. Like, our old folks homes are going to be lit, dude. We're going to be like, you know fucking thugging out and shit if, you're, <laughs> if your hip's not broken it will be you know fucking 80 year old man going what side <laughs> and and all the women still dancing to back that ass up <laughs> fucking grandma's twerking <laughs> <laughs> nah dude this was before there was a twerk era okay uh, yeah it was it was back that ass up which was it, that's the precursor to, to yeah the booty dancing was a precursor to the twerking everything builds on the past man <laughs> we were there so yes Sylvester <laughs> I feel Stallone. like we've gone on a lot of tangents oh dude we always this would be like tangent as fuck yeah so Sylvester Stallone the first time he starred with Wesley Snipes uh, before Expendables 2 or no that was 3 pre-blade Wesley Snipes <laughs> oh yeah, it was kind of weird seeing Wesley Snipes. Like, to to my knowledge, I don't think I'd seen Demolition Man up until this weekend. <laughs> really? And I like to. It starts off like in the far future of 1996. <laughs> the world has gone to shit, and well, I mean, 1996 uh, did give us the internet. <laughs> yeah, that was the, that was the where humanity's downfall started. Before we get into like the deep details of this movie, we talked about being prothetic and kind of predicting how cancel culture ends up. What about this? All the other things in this movie that like were science fiction in '93 that are now like science fact. Like for example, the internet and voice computers, the, the uh, automated vehicles. Yes, like it's basically a freaking Tesla. I mean, it kind of even looks a little Tesla-esque. You know, these electric self-driving cars and shit. And even uh, when he goes to see... Uh, when you go to Cocteau's office and he's, like, having that meeting with all his shareholders or whatever, and they're all, like, on those little telepresence robots where it's like just a screen that, and a camera that moves around. It's like, it's Zoom before Zoom, you know? <laughs> it's like all these things, like, we you know, when we talked uh, to, you know, some of the scientists and stuff we have at dragon con about like you know how much shit that you were you were fans of from star trek when you were a kid are now like actual things so it's like does art inspire the scientists to create the things that they saw in art or is this like artists just imagining the future and they're pretty good at uh <laughs> guessing where things where things end up hell even voice acted faded lights like walking into a room going lights on and your freaking uh alexa or whatever like you know can do all those things for you now. It's... I still haven't figured out how to get Alexa to make me a sandwich, though. Like she can, if... She'll order you one from Uber Eats. I know, but <laughs> it's so expensive. <laughs> like, you know, like over in Japan where they have, like, you know, the, the actual, like, hot mill vending machines and stuff. Yeah. Like, that's what I need at home. <laughs> I think they call that meal prep or something, but... yeah. Yeah, it was like I, I was at Academy Sports the other day, and they had some like m camping meals that cook themselves. You just got to add water. 
You don't even have to have like one a camp stove. You just pour water in the bag and it like cooks itself in five minutes. I'm like, that like it takes player that takes away half of my fucking camping uh, <laughs> gear. I don't need anymore. Uh. But does it taste good? I don't know yet. I got to try one for my next uh, my next excursion because I used to like take an MRE and now it's like I can only eat small amounts. I'm like I can't finish a whole fucking MRE where this was just like a single meal. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, just one bag of chili. I might be able to eat that. So it's I won't waste a whole fucking uh, MRE or one MRE will last me like all weekend now instead of like you know two a day. <laughs> ah, chili, it's dangerous. Especially if you you don't have any toilet paper in the future and you got to use the three shells. Ah, the good old three shells. He doesn't know how to use the three shells. And he's like, you know, when he first like wakes up, he's like, oh, my inside's defrosting. I take my, man, a 30-year morning shit. That's got to be be rough. He's like, there's just fucking shells in there. And I've seen, and they never explain it in the movie, but I've seen like diagrams online where people have figured that shit out. You can Google like, how do you use the three seashells? And apparently you take two of them like, chopsticks and you basically just grab the turd as it's coming out and drop it in the bowl which that does not account for like a messy number seven that only works if if, if it's kind of solid and then you take the third shell and just kind of squeegee your ass with it is the the uh prevailing theory on the internet of how the three seashells work uh two to grab the turd and one to just squeegee your butthole clean at the end i'm gonna opt for Leaves, wet wipe, or running stream. I mean, the fucking I'll, Japanese... I'll take the running stream, you know, m- method. I mean, the Japanese have the those fucking self-cleaning, self-washing freaking toilets now. You would think, like, they would have those in the future. The, 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 the expensive Japanese toilet seems a lot more efficient than the, uh, the three seashells. Y'all get self-driving cars, you can't get, like, self-wiping toilets just to take care of your butthole. No, nope, no, nope. just get your bidet and <laughs> go with it. Score or you sprint. can just, uh, you know, violate the verbal morality code a bunch, and there's your toilet paper. <laughs> but she's like, he's like, hold on, I got an idea. You scum sucking ugly motherfucker. Just like beep beep once, and he's like, ah, got my toilet paper now. <laughs> yeah. So how fucked would it be if that's a, a law that gets passed? You know, it's like you can't cuss, dude. I would. I would never have a paycheck because I would violate that shit. I just, 50 times I'm just a day. gonna be like, look, you, you're just gonna have to go ahead and advance. Hell, this one episode of the show, you know, alone would probably cost us a hundred credits <laughs> and fucking verbal morality code violations. But yeah, I figure, you know, with everything else going paperless and everything of that nature, that you wouldn't just get a a, a fucking print on receipt. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like they're they're still printing out tickets. Well, even when we went to digital, we were still printing the but digital tickets. But I guess, tickets. you know one thing, let's talk about a thing that went away. You remember walking around supermarkets or Walmarts and on, you know, various shelves would be that little fucking thing that would spit out a coupon. Yeah, now it's all on your on your phone or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Send you so, QR codes. You know, they, they probably had a whole bunch of those. <laughs> like left over, like, what, what, what can we possibly do with this? Oh, yeah, uh... Here it is, profanity tickets. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I like Sandra. Sandra Bullock. Her character is obsessed with what she thinks the '80s were, and she has all these, or even the '90s, and she has all these like collect antiques. 
And it's kind of funny. That's like how I, I picture things are in the future where they're like, just the shit we thought was junk. And now it's like, everybody's like, oh, check out this this ancient relic from the, the 90s. <laughs> it's a collector's item. And it's like, dude, I had like 50 of those. We threw those out. But yeah, it's like, it's all these like stupid little knickknacks. It's like walking into one of those like Coca-Cola merchandise uh, collector's houses that have like all the little, you know, Coca-Cola knickknacks and shit. It's like, I was like, actually, you know what her, her house reminded me? It remind remember, uh, Fuddruckers, how those things were decorated. Yeah. <laughs> it had a very Fuddruckers feel to it. You know, I never got a, had a, a good eating experience out of Fuddruckers. Now you didn't go there for good eating. You just go, went there for like quantity over quality. <laughs> Probably why they're, or at least the ones around here aren't, don't exist anymore. I don't know. I don't know if they still exist as a company or not, but I know the Fudd. The Fuddruckers we had uh, closed closed up. Because you get like the fucking one pound burger and it was like, just the bread was good. I mean, back when I could eat bread, like their buns were nice. But yeah, it wasn't like the greatest uh, cut of meat. <laughs> I don't know. I just, just not a positive experience. Kind of like that uh, that other place that I go to like once a year because I forget that I always end up pissed off as soon as I walk through the door. Red Robin? Yeah, that's it. Because <laughs> I have the same, like, I'm like, man, I haven't had a Red Robin burger in a while. And I go there, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember why I don't come here. That place sucks. <laughs> but it, And then it'll, like, be long enough that nostalgia kicks in again. You know what? I had one of those burgers. That, oh, yeah. Still suck. <laughs> another place i just never had a positive experience <laughs> speaking of restaurants all right it, it, you know uh when john spartan meets cocteau for the first time he's like you've saved my life i'm gonna take you out to dinner at taco bell now if that's not fucking true i don't know what it is because if there's any restaurants that's gonna survive the apocalypse it's gonna be motherfucking taco bell out of every Mexican chain there is, and that was voted the number one Mexican chain in America. <laughs> that shit ain't going nowhere. Uh, now, are they going to be like fucking fine dining Taco Bell like that? I sure as hell hope not. Yeah, those were like some tiny ass, uh, yeah, tiny it's ass like, meals. Man, I want a you know five layer beefy bean burrito. Oh, I got some kind of shit on a plate. Yeah, if if salt and spice and all these things are like outlawed because they're not healthy. What would, cause is there going to be anything on the Taco Bell menu? <laughs> and like not anything that resembles the shit we eat now. Lettuce. <laughs> yeah. You're just, just straight up lettuce wraps uh, with some beans or something. No, just lettuce. <laughs> so that was going to be my question. If in the future we only have one restaurant, what would you choose as the one west restaurant that we we only get in the future why you got to put that on me because <laughs> i was thinking because i'm like you know that emits barbecue that emits mexican that emits thai and chinese like i i don't know like i know for a fact like a traditional taco bell menu 
I have survived many a summers throughout high school eating Taco Bell. I mean, and Taco it's all Bell basically alone. the same, like four ingredients, just mixed differently. <laughs> but or, we never, we only saw the one Taco Bell. Did, did is there like still the variety of food? They're just all Taco Bell Corporation. Like, is there Chinese Taco Bell? Is there Sushi Taco Bell? <laughs> it's just Taco Bell owns everything, but it's they actually have different. No, no, they all share the same menu. Cause I was gonna say Waffle House. Waffle House should be the thing to survive the apocalypse. Cause I mean, you get you get some variety there. You got breakfast foods. You got steaks. You got Burt's chili or or what Libs chili. But or all of that is deemed unhealthy. Everything that makes Waffle House good, you cannot get in the future. No, there's still Waffle Houses in the future, but they're in like Edgar Friendly's uh, fucking sewer kingdom down there. Because that's the one place that would definitely have a Waffle House. Well, they didn't have fucking <laughs> cows. So where are you getting your steak? We're going shit. for the rat steak. Yes, the rat steak. <laughs> it's proof as long as you season that shit right. It's because <laughs> he's like, "Holy shit, I smell something good!" And then like starts eating that burger, and they're like, "Oh, it's like he's like, what?" He's like, "Don't ask her what it's made of." What do you mean? You don't even see cows around here? And he finally like, uh, "Senorita, what's this man?" And he's like, "Oh, it's rat burger." And he he pauses for a second, takes another bat bite, and he's like, "Best damn burger I've ever had." <laughs> but I mean, honestly though, like, you know, I've ate a lot of adventurous things and if I were to hand you a thing and not tell you and say hey dude just try this like we we have a preconceived phobia <laughs> you know and if you omit that phobia like you don't know you're eating cheek tongue you know yeah, I mean sauteed raccoon ass balls are a, a, a delicacy in some places uh, but I'm like I would never think I want to eat like that cow's nutsack but but if it's, it's sliced up and like hey deep dude fried. <laughs> try this like i mean deep fried meatballs oh yeah they are <laughs> but i mean you know think about the fair the varieties of food and everything else like yeah i mean i never would have thought to put pulled pork on a baked potato until i went to a fair and i'm like this is fucking awesome i love barbecue <laughs> baked potatoes Or uh, pulled rat, the, the barbecue Sundays, or it's just like layered, like yeah. I mean, it's a whole meal in a cup. Like, what's wrong with that? Like, con- that is the food of the future. That's convenient as sucks. Fuck. Sucks for the people that don't like their food to touch, but you know, <laughs> at some point, it's all gonna touch eventually, anyway. <laughs> See, that's we we weed out the the weak gene pool in the future. Like all these people that you know have food phobias are like, well, you're fucked. All your food's touching now. <laughs> Live or die. Did you say liver? Liver die? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Liver's too coppery. Don't like liver. It depends. Like fried chicken livers? I'll deal with that. That's like fucking fishing bait. That is but, not food. <laughs> but um You know beef liver? Eh I can eat it sparingly, but I like if I try to make a full meal out of it, I'm going to be hungry afterwards because it's just too much iron and whatnot. Like, now, cow heart, on the other hand, fucking amazing. <laughs> uh-huh. See, and waste not to want not. Eat, eat, eat all, the, all the things. Apparently, in the future, ads are now the only music available. <laughs> I mean... Think about every subscription plan you have, and it's like, play 
pay X amount to remove ads only for six months later. Ah, we're losing too much revenue not having ads, so your plan's going to quadruple in price. You get the YouTube where like, you can only skip like every third ad or whatever, and it's like... That's the only ads I ever see now, because like, I got rid of cable, only watch streaming. And it's like, yeah, it's like YouTube and Facebook pop-ups are like the only fucking ads I see these days. But yeah, it's like the... But who is it now? Is it... Is it Disney that's raising their price to try to keep the ad-free service? Or you yeah, can... you gotta. I think you gotta pay more if you want ad-free, or you can you start having the uh, occasional ad pop up. Which I don't give a fuck. You know, it's especially if, if it's not like if I gotta watch a five-minute ad before this thing starts. Fine. It's like I just don't want like mid-show fucking. Yeah, be in the middle of like an intense action sequence, and it's like, hey, you got hemorrhoids. Preparation age. I'm like, god damn it! <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! That's a verbal violation. <laughs> You've been You've fined. Deducted one credit. One credit. Uh, yeah, and that uh, fucking administrator Bob. That that is like, if the. Uh, the woke the, the the cancel culture this is this is that's if cancel culture could be personified that's yes, that's <laughs> the the future uh that you know androgynous dude that uh you know has no strong opinions and does whatever his his master because the only person in that society who's actually free is the people on top <laughs> and they're not free. That's not freedom. They, they got no... Uh, everything is just already decided for them. No, I'm know? saying the only people that are actually free are the people on top, like fucking Cocteau. The guy who run running the fucking show is the only one who's actually free. Everyone else is like, you know, a subject at that point. But it's just amazing to me the people that don't realize that that's exactly what would happen. Because somebody somewhere wants the upper hand. Yeah, it's like I forgot who it said it was like if you if you if you allow the government to break the law during an emergency, they will create an emergency so they can break the law. <laughs> and that's pretty much like you know fucking Cocteau came in and take took advantage of everybody and uh, you know y'all you know freedom doesn't work for y'all. Let me just tell y'all what to do and how to act and what to say and when to eat and you can't touch each other. You got to use help. Fucking VR sex. That was like. Another thing that was like sci-fi. Now it's like, yeah, I want I want the internet enabled uh, uh, fucking uh, fleshlight now that <laughs> I can have long distance virtual sex with. It's like there's like there's so much shit that just like became at least some version of reality with this movie thirty years later. You don't think it was by design? You think it's all coincidence? Can we go down this rabbit hole on this podcast <laughs> and be like, uh, yeah, uh, we regret to inform you that, um, you know, a military drone crashed into a, uh, a shed with two podcasters. They <laughs> yeah. were, they were way, getting way, way too close, close to the, to the truth. truth. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, in their world, like they're like, or even like the future police force. Where it's like, this is what defund the police ends up being. <laughs> where you've regulated it to the point where now they don't know how... They're like, we're cops. We don't know how to deal with this level of violence. <laughs> you know, because, you know, 
Simon Phoenix who, you know, Cocteau uh, unthaws uh, to take out Edgar Friendly, who is like the leader of the, I guess you'd call him the resistance in this future. And he's like been digitally trained. I mean, he was already a, like a badass psychopath, but now he's got like leveled up all kind of crazy skills. And he's like in a world where everyone doesn't know how to fight anymore. It's like this guy's like fucking god tier mode <laughs> in the video game. He's He's got like the... Uh, the fucking ultimate uh it's it's like when you when you beat a game and you go back and play it where you're like fully leveled up character and you just kill everybody one hit but yeah it was like where he's like we don't know how to deal with like and it's like you know the cops that are patrolling have that little computer that tells them exactly what to do it's like approach the subject and tell him to lay on the ground the thing is like fuck you and he's like uh subject respond with a scornful word what should i do Say it again in a stronger tone and say, or else. And it's like, yeah, this is kind of how things go if you, like, over-regulate shit and take away, like, uh, officer discretion. <laughs> you outlaw thinking and you get a bunch of people who can't think and can only, like, follow, proceed, like, you know, fucking procedures and shit. So when something, what do something outside of procedure love pops up, more than it's like they don't know what to for do. For their citizens. Like I said, you know, George Carlin the... said it, you know, people that are, you know, smart enough to operate the machines, but too dumb to realize, you know, how they've been programmed themselves and, you know, cannot free think or think critically. Just another and... cog in the machine. Just another brick in the wall. <laughs> I do like the one old guy that was alive when it's Spartan's time. He's like, Spartan, is that you? And he's like, Oh, last time I saw you, you was a snot-nosed rookie. You got old, you know, they're, and they're like, I thought you said they were friends. Look how harsh they're speaking to each other. It's like, no, no, this is how men bonded in the 90s with, like, harsh remarks. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> no one talks to you worse than your friends. <laughs> yeah, you piece of shit. <laughs> exactly, I mean, hell, leave guys alone long enough, there's going to be a cup check involved at some point. <laughs> I, I've hit way more of my friends in the nuts than I have, like, people I've actually wanted, like, you know, to commit violence against. <laughs> in certain environments, nut shots are funny. When they're not your nuts. <laughs> kind of made my stomach hurt a little bit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> What's your boggle, fair citizen? <laughs> <clears throat> you should have joy, joy feelings. <laughs> Happy, happy, joy, joy. Ran on Stimpy. But yeah, it's like... But yeah, like, you know, the other thing is no music, no true creative art. Like, it's fucking children's programming. <laughs> yeah. They're all like, you know, singing along to old, uh, sh uh, not, not even show tunes, like old advertisement uh, jingles. Or maybe that's like the ev evolution of TikTok. You know, we, we've got a whole generation growing up addicted on short form content that uh, in the future you can't watch a five minute video or listen to a five minute song. Everything's got to be in like bite sized 30 second clips to uh, keep people's <laughs> attention. And you've only got, what was it, like six or seven seconds, I think, to actually grab their attention for that 30 seconds. Titties. 
I mean, he did get. Hey, you got my attention. There was, you know, the the wrong call on the on the uh, the old video phone, and the like the the random naked lady. Like, this is a '90s action movie. We got to put some tits in this. <laughs> Remember when that was a thing? Where like, yeah, you know, every movie had to have just a little bit of boobage, and this had just random boobage. <laughs> I mean, I kind of still feel like I've never outgrown that phase. Yeah. It's like, you know, seeing one tit, you want to see them all. <laughs> you know, you don't know what you're missing, you know, up until that one. And then, then it's all downhill from there. It's like Pokemon. <laughs> Got to catch them all. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> the only people with the... Yeah, I love Dennis Leary as this character. He... Because this was like Dennis Leary in his prime of his stand-up comedy where he was like the man when it came to like rants. And that fucking rant friendly goes on about like, I just want to run down the street naked with a cheeseburger and a, and a fucking Playboy because I can. Yeah, and just like, I was like, like fuck yeah, dude. Like, even, even now, like 30 years later, when he goes on his rant about like... See, that's one thing that they did not predict right, though. <laughs> Because it, I mean, still haven't spanked my. <laughs> no, I mean, look. Most people who who goes to Playboy anymore. It's all internet porn. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't call that one. But then again, like I guess internet porn was like you know outlawed along with everything else in the future. So you still had to. It's like old school back in the day when you were smuggling uh, nudie mags from the gas station. It's like <laughs> that's the the currency in the future. Like, you know, because everyone else has been low-jacked with their chips and having to pay, like, digitally with the... That's another thing, too. It's like, the minute you, uh... You dropped your cigar there. Oh, boy. The minute you allow the government to do away with money and, yeah, everything is just 100% digital, that's when you're fucked. Because as soon as you do something the government doesn't like, they can be like, cool, your bank account's empty. You have no way to buy food or eat, so either... Come to the government, we will support um, you. Either comply or, you know, fucking die. Yeah, you know, it's kind of what Larry said. He's like, well, you can either stay up there and live by Cocteau's rules, or you can come down here and be free and possibly starve to death. And, you know, the choice is yours. <laughs> nah, they got Samin Matt burgers. Damn right. Uh, it kind of reminds me of just eating, like, junkyard tacos from, like, dude selling tacos out of the back of his truck. And they were some of the best fucking tacos I ever had. They may have been rat meat. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't I was at a pull-apart junkyard in Atlanta, and some dude was like, it wasn't even like a labeled like food truck. This was like pre-food truck. It was just a old Mexican dude selling steak tacos out of the back of a van, and that was some of the best tacos I've ever had. <laughs> this tastes like human meat. <laughs> Soil and green, motherfuckers. <laughs> I, I love how we've talked for nearly 40 minutes. Three minutes was actually about this movie. <laughs> yeah. We're podcasting. <laughs> oh. I, and I say, as I love these, what going back and watching Wesley Snipes now, I have such a different like take on him because I found out he's a Hopkido guy and that's the style of martial arts that, I've taken. So now I go back and I watch Wesley Snipes action sequences and I'm like, oh yeah, I know that move. 
Oh yeah, that's that's some sweet hop keto you got going on there. <laughs> so you're trying to say you're you're like Wesley Snipes now? Not as tan. Or as skilled. <laughs> I think he's like a fifth degree black belter or, or something. He's and you know, also I pay my taxes, so I haven't gone to prison for that yet. I'll be there shortly. Probably next week. Because fuck taxes. <laughs> Taxless dick. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I couldn't see being a night shift cop in the future without coffee and caffeine. It's like, no, caffeine, tobacco. They probably have like a curfew system or something set up so that, you know, they don't need a night shift, you know, because you can't interrupt, you know, the, the minimum eight hour required sleep period but i bet you get some bomb ass sleep though because they probably got some shit that's like all right body activate sleep mode yeah you put on your uh your fucking vr sex goggles there and it just like puts you to sleep and you're (laughs) damn it i had a wet dream and shorted out my vr goggles (laughs) i exchanged bodily fluid oh (laughs) imagine hackers just like remotely accessing people's like sex uh so you're like fucking you're in the middle of a sex dream all of a sudden you're getting like you know somebody sending you uh, horror movies it's like you wake up in a fucking saw film you're like oh shit damn it i got a digital std <laughs> they sent me a virus so we've launched a lot of movies about the future post-apocalypse what do you think is scarier like a dystopian society or this like fucking generic whitewash society. I gotta say the fashion though. I do like the, the kimonos look comfortable. <laughs> Everybody rocking some sweet kimonos in the future. But yeah. Joe, we live in the south. It's hot as hell there in the summer. We would die. Maybe we go kilts. That's the southern future. Uh... <laughs> yeah, because that, that was LA too. Our, you know, future LA. It's hot as fucking California. Maybe they have some kind of special, like, cooling underwear or some shit. But, yeah, kimonos might get hot in, like, L.A. summer. God damn it, if I'm wearing a blanket, I'm not wearing fucking underwear, all right? (laughs) You're lucky I'm wearing underwear right now. Maybe I'm not. Who knows? It's laundry day. (laughs) (laughs) It is laundry day. (laughs) Free balling. Oh. You know, there's been a nice breeze outside today, like... There's enough cigar smoke in here. It'll never smell like balls. <laughs> the only place to get a gun is a museum. And luckily, and it, they've also stockpiled a shitload of ammo for some reason in the museum. That, that was the other <laughs> thing that I didn't understand. Like, okay, he sees a shotgun on display, breaks the glass, and magically he reappears with a fucking bandolier of <laughs> shells. The shotgun's already loaded. Like, yeah, I've been to a lot of museums that have, and seen like ancient like guns and shit. I've never seen like boxes of ammunition stored next to the uh, displayed weapons. Even in the NRA museum, I did not see any live ammo laying around. <laughs> well, that's because you know somebody's already come by. I'm like, oh shit, free ammo. <laughs> <laughs> Grab around, pass it down. And, yo, he, him bungee jumping out of the helicopter to, to raid Simon's uh, place. Was that, like, you know, the start of bungee, when 
bungee jumping was cool. Because I remember, like, there was a time when any kind of resort town you went to had fucking bungee They still do. Places. Like, Pigeon Forge is full of them still. Like, <laughs> really? Yeah. I've not been up there in a couple of years. I didn't know if the bungee places still uh, still exist. Like, I've been seeing a lot more of the uh, the slingshot style things appear. But, hell, I mean, I think Six Flags still has their... I mean, theirs is more like a swing, though, than an actual bungee jump. The one I want to try, though, is like where it's a truly a 60-foot free fall. Like, you don't have cool. a safety lanyard or anything. You, oh, you just land on a net or something? Land on the net, yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> That's scary as fuck, yeah. I'm going to help bungee jump pretty scary, but you're like, yeah. You, I don't know, there's an element of uh, safety of illusion with, like, yeah, you're like, oh, well, I got this string attached to me. I hope somebody measured this shit right. <laughs> but when you got nothing, you're like, I hope this... Uh, this airbag or whatever at the bottom doesn't <laughs> doesn't hurt. No, I mean like the, you know, so basically the net raises it like up to a certain so it point, and then your platform you. is up there, and I guess as you fall, like it lowers or something, you know, so it's not just a fucking oh oh god, <laughs> I've I've been sliced into a million bits by this, you know. I think one thing I kind of want to try now that I'm I'm below the weight limit is I've never been to one of those uh, zip line places. I've, I've seen the videos. I'm like, man, it looks fun as shit. This zip lining through the fucking woods. I'm like, I'm probably like low enough to like get on one of those now. <laughs> Dude, I've seen some big people on those things. My only thing is I'm, I'm just a little bit sketched out on, you know, the <laughs> rigging competency. Like I, I'm going to be like, yeah, you've been Man, to like rigging school, so it's like, yeah, like I, I it's like, like you're like, uh. I, I'm gonna need to check some cable integrity. How was this shit anchored? Like, yeah, it's one of those times where like ignorance is bliss. I'm like, I don't know, this is janky, and you're like, oh shit, dude, this is janky. We may die. <laughs> when I go, I got to take you with me to be like, no, no, this looks safe. We're good. <laughs> no, I mean, dude, every time, every time, like, fuck, I've been on some towers, and I'm just like. There's a good chance I'm dying today. <laughs> like, it's like the first time I went rappelling off a building. I was like, how much weight does the rope hold? Like, oh, don't worry. This, this you know, rope will hold 800 pounds. I'm like, yeah, but what about that duct tape you have over there holding the knot together? Oh, the duct tape will, will hold 2,000 pounds. You're good. I'm like, okay. <laughs> at least there was an airbag at the bottom of the building just in case. But, yeah, it, it was not necessary. But, yeah, the, the, the duct tape on the rope was kind of a little sketchy to me. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I I would trust my life with duct tape. <laughs> uh, is there duct tape in the future? Or what about the 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 fucking foam egg safety things in the cars when it when it falls apart? I'm like, now see, I oh, kind of thought I, that was a cool. That's idea. pretty badass. I'd like, like to see. I kind of feel airbags. like that's a lot better than getting punched in the fucking chest <laughs> and face by you know. It's like. Hey, there's this airbag that's going to inflate, but it's behind all this plastic and, and hard shit that's got to go somewhere. <laughs> Are you seeing the people that have, like, fucking all kind of shit glued, decorative stuff glued to their steering wheel? I mean, you just invented a Claymore device. You're just going to blow yourself up when that goes off. Oh, I got a mushroom stamp. <laughs> Literally, the stone mushroom is stuck in my head. <laughs> uh, I got a Super Mario up my nostril. Oh. <laughs> In the valley. 
jolly green giant with dave cortez if you remember that fucker from you know old mtv vj back in the day when mtv was a thing it had a little cameo in this movie as the piano player at the talk fancy taco bell <laughs> i could all see you know in the future is just spongebob square pants that would drive amanda insane that would probably be a like a number one hit <laughs> SpongeBob Square. Oh God! Now, yeah, now I'm thinking of all the bad like children's TV show uh, theme songs that would probably be on the. Uh, I mean, I've been to a radios. lot of metal concerts, and before the band starts, like just in the intro, like people go nuts for that fucking song. <laughs> oh fucking! Uh, speaking of which, I saw we talked about all the Barbies at Dragon Con last episode. Hallocene just released a metal version of "Let's Go Barbie" or "Barbie Girl." That is a metal song is fucking twisted. <laughs> Hello, Barbie, let's go. Like, it's fucked up. You got to watch it. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> go ahead and deduct my obscenity cr- credits now, I guess. Yeah, I had to, like, you know, rack up a bunch of those because, like, oh, we're going to need them. <laughs> So, did this fit all of the late 80s into early 90s action tropes? I mean, you know, sort of had the gear up montage, had the helicopter. Um, Nobody fell out of a building, though, that I can recall. Like, that was always kind of a... They, Him and Simon Phoenix did jump out the window when the building blew up. That That's correct. When he had all the gasoline everywhere. And that that's how... The, he ended up in the future to begin with is he was there to rescue a busload of hostages that had already been killed. But Simon Payne was like, I told him the hostages were in the building. He, he didn't care. So yeah, he, he caused me to kill all these people. So then they both end up getting sent to prison for 70 years in the, in the brand new cryo prison. There's your zero tolerance policy at work. <laughs> uh, I do like that. The, the young guy that like puts him in the, Jay was like, I'm assistant uh, warden so-and-so. And then when you get to the future, the old guy there, it's the same dude. Now he's like actually running the running the, the, the plant. And I'm pretty sure the, the older uh, black gentleman was the pilot that uh, flew him in when they... Because uh, he mentioned that he was like, last time I seen you, you were the rookie pilot. And he's like, yeah, they finally grounded me. So it was like, you know... He was sentenced to 70 years, but he only did 30, so there was still a few people from back in the day that uh, that was still alive. But not his wife, not his kids. Well, they never actually, like, look up his kids to see if Yeah, that's got to be one of those things, like, after 30 years has gone by, like, I don't really want to know. <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that life has sailed. Yeah, they're like a grown-ass adult. What are they going to do with... Uh... <laughs> I have daddy issues. <laughs> uh, I do like uh, Edgar's double-barrel 12-gauge pistol, though. That that thing got a kick like a motherfucker, though. It probably has a range of about six foot. <laughs> it's not a lot of barrel for 12-gauge. No, that's, that's going to be a lot of spread and, and a very <laughs> short amount of time. But it looked cool. It was a good aesthetic. <laughs> so what about the weapons of the future? So he pulled out that, you know, magnetic, 
laser type rifle. Yeah, he's like, like this is the future. Where the fuck's the phasers? <laughs> and it was like the is like the last weapon ever built. It was, and it looks. I'm pretty sure they used like an HK design and turned it into like some kind of weird laser cannon. But yeah, it's like, when do we get the fucking laser guns, man? All the future movies, like hell, like technically we should be living in Terminator times now. Yeah, but we where's our plasma cannons and shit? Well, I mean, still using gun laser power. laser technology is there, but I don't think it's. I think the trick is the power. This laser can do a whole hell of a lot. How do we put that on a? a like, yeah, uh, I mean, we, we don't have, have a like, way to stop the laser. Once I mean, once the laser's on, it's just going everywhere. We have like rail guns now, but they're still this something mounted on a battleship. It's like you know we. We we've yet to like figure out how to make that shit man portable. You know the technology's there, but right now it's like really fucking big. So maybe another fifty years we'll get like man portable laser cannons and shit. Would have been another question to ask the CIA. They would know all about the fucking handheld laser cannons. <laughs> yeah, when we get, I just want a BFG nine thousand. Like, where is your Q? Like, where's the 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 weird James Bond uh, assassin tools of the future? Now this is all fucking drones. That's something I did, they didn't have in the... This is before, like, drones were, like, really a thing. So you think in the future, they, they wouldn't even have cops. They'd just have a bunch of, like, flying drones around murking people if they uh, got out of line. I was like, ow. We, we've erased your code. You are now... You no longer exist. <laughs> like, where the fuck is RoboCop? I guess that was over in Detroit. I mean, he got, <laughs> he got shot in the dick, dude. <laughs> Somebody did a... There's a video floating around the internet where it was like they just made RoboCop way worse, and he just it's it's just RoboCop shooting people in the dick. It's that's that's all this movie is is him just going around shooting people, everyone in the dick. <laughs> I mean, I guarantee you, if that was a legitimate form of, you would have a lot of people second guessing their choices, <laughs> like nobody. And apparently, I don't care what gender you are. You don't want to be shot in the dick. You can make battle armor out of old tires. I mean, they outlawed gasoline and like we got these weird electrical vehicles, you know. So I guess there's gonna be a lot of leftover tires laying around. Uh, I mean, it looked like Wake or Wasteland Weekend Atlanta or uh, fucking Burning Man, the the outfits of the uh, Edgar's uh, sewer crew. But I'm like, tires make cool cool outfits. I guess <laughs> it's like upcycling before upcycling was a thing. I mean, I guess if ever you have a blowout, you know. <laughs> I mean, I've seen the Ho Chi Minh sandals where, like, the Vietnamese dudes making, like, sandals out of old tires and shit. This is, like, just taking that shit to the next level. We're making full outfits out of tires. It's like Wesley Snipes looks like a fucking Burning Man dude, like, pre-Burning Man. <laughs> it's another way, another place we've predicted the future with this film. Why does it got to be called Burning Man? They burn a giant like wood effigy at the end of the thing. Why can't it just be you know burning neutral gender? Ah, that you know the fucking hippies are gonna get canceled. Like they're gonna have to like you know can't call it Burning Man anymore. <laughs> gotta change. Gotta make that shit neutral now. And we don't even know. I mean, what? How do we know what they identify as? So many assumptions. So many assumptions. People want to be so progressive and just. Live in the fucking past. I don't know. What would have happened to the, like, 
administrator Bob, that actor, because he was in Beetlejuice. I mean, he was in a ton of movies in the 80s, but I don't remember seeing him in anything since the hell he may be dead. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not looked it up. I have no idea who that actor is, but he was a guy that was showed up in like a ton of, he was one of those like what is weird character actors that, that showed up in like tons of freaking movies. Uh, I'm going to Google and it's going to be something like sad and horrific. So I probably should wait until after we're done, but yeah, I got to figure out what happened to administrator Bob. Uh, he went on to be an admin. <laughs> he got promoted. He so, became. You, you remember when Microsoft had Clippy? Yeah, that's that's what he became. <laughs> he became Clippy. All right. So, uh, as we kind of bring this into a uh, a close here, what do you think of this here uh, golden era? It was good, dude. Um, not a lot of transition throughout the the course of the cigar, but you know, I mean, it was smooth. Just a a hint of spice. Um, you know, just a a very easygoing classic cigar. Like, if, you know, somebody that's like, hey, I, I I just want something not overly complex. Like, for somebody that doesn't really smoke cigars. And we're like, I'm kind of interested in getting to cigars. I I would very much probably hand them one of these, you know, because it wasn't overly powerful, but there was enough flavor and nuance to be like, all right, there, there's something going on here. Um, okay, he did pass away in 2010. His name was Glenn Shaddix, and his. His last film was a voice on the little engine that could in 2011. Apparently he had a huge career as a voice actor uh, later in his career because he has like just a fucking ton of credits that are... Well, speaking of somebody that's not going to have a ton of fucking credits, it's going to be you with that potty mouth. (laughs) Hell, he was in Lilo and Stitch. The series. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, he had a long, good career. Good for Administrator Bob. Oh, my back just cracked. (laughs) I haven't been to the chiropractor this week. Like, everything's getting crunchy. But yeah, this is a good, like, for someone who's just getting in, it's a good, it's got enough flavor to keep you interested, but it's not overpowering if someone's kind of just dipping their toe in the water. I mean, and, I will say that cigars. this was probably one of the best. Like, I haven't felt well for the last week. Um, so I was kind of like, I'm, I'm going to get my ass kicked by, you know, a, a cigar. Like, <laughs> oxygen is, is trying to kill me. Like, But this was subtle enough that I'm like, it, it didn't mess with me, you know, near as bad as... What I tried to smoke yesterday. Yesterday I tried to die. I I, I found one of my old school superheroes. Oh, I miss those. And yeah, Rocky needs to bring those back. Bring back the superhero. Yeah, cigar. I, I mean, I'm not sure if it was the cigar or the fact that I've had it for like seven years, <laughs> but 
I was like rummaging through the humidor, and I'm like, that's a blast from the past. <laughs> yeah, if anyone has any old uh, Super Heroes out there they're willing to part with, uh, just shoot us an email. Uh... <laughs> oh. Yeah, I got to order some more Cigar Nerd cigars. Uh, we've smoked all of those. And those turned out to be pretty fucking good. So in this world of remakes and reboots and what is old is now new again, think we could do another Demolition Man? <laughs> yeah, there wasn't anything that really, you know, crossed the line um, in, in, in this. I mean... Like, do we do a reboot or do we check back in with old man Spartan and see how uh, his new uh, lawless future has uh, <laughs> has turned out. Or do we do like full reboot and we get like the next gen, you know, which I'm not sure who this gen's uh, John Spartan would be. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. Like, there's a lot of big shoes to fill. I mean... Because even... Sw- oh, fucking... I just watched the new... Uh, Expendables 4 and uh, thanks to Lone maybe getting a little too old for that shit because I mean he he set out a lot of the movie and let a lot of the younger actors take most of the action sequences so it's like even he's getting to the point he's like bro it's I can't do this shit anymore <laughs> I mean Schwarzenegger was still pretty dope in that uh, in uh, the Bar series but yeah like they, they've all kind of slowed down a little and it might be time for a new generation well i mean I, at this point nobody wants to get fucking hurt or injured or something you know like john cena as john spartan god <laughs> he's our new schwarzenegger you know? <laughs> it would just be like peacemaker all over again oh yeah i forgot we, we yeah we've got peacemaker oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah it was like this was in an era of like when we were starting to get those action comedies. Like, this is this or, is kind of cool because, you know, it played on technology that, you know, maybe the ideas were being tossed about, but none of this stuff had come to fruition. But now that we have so much of this technology, it'd just be like, eh. Like... <laughs> we're going to have to go even wilder with the, the future future. Because, like, past future now is like, yeah, this is pretty much... Just a cell phone and Siri. Like, I'm wondering, like, what point in movies and and technology do we get to a point to where it's like they can't invent? Uh, yeah, it's like we already have like, all of this. Simpsons like, did it. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, because I've not watched any real other than like Star Wars shit that takes place in a future. Are you know if if it's future, it's alien shit. I'm I mean, not watching yeah, any about the only thing that you know, can... a future Earth that I've been like. All right, that's that's definitely sci-fi. I, I we don't have anything near that. I mean, you know, time like travel obviously, you know, um but like tech-wise, it's just like eh kind of feel like we've <laughs> yeah. already seen that in a headline somewhere. <laughs> Everything is just like fancier versions of shit we've got now. Like I don't know if writers are coming up with like brand new shit that we we haven't already seen before yet. Now it's like I don't know. Maybe they're getting off their strike and they'll start coming up with some new shit. But yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I've not really seen anything where I'm like, oh, that's new that we definitely don't have anything resembling that nowadays. Everything is like, oh, that, yeah, that's the eventual progression of shit we've already got. Like, I mean, you know, think of like 
you've seen like where things will just manifest or you know but i'm like okay we got 3d printers you know it yeah. starts without a thing and 24 <laughs> hours there is a thing yeah the star trek fucking food replicators i'm like yeah we pretty much have yeah, because they got ways to 3D print using, you know, plant-based matter and stuff like that <laughs> yeah. to make edible food. Well, with that, we're going to roll on into the future. Uh, if you're listening to the audio show, we still got some more uh, uh, of our DragonCon interviews to drop for you that'll be coming up. Uh, we've got some interesting stuff. we got Steve Jackson, we've got a folklorist, and we've got another uh, NASA scientist. Uh, so stay tuned for that if you're watching on the YouTube uh, like, comment, and subscribe, and we'll be right back. I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Life in plastic, it's fantastic. You can brush my hair, undress me everywhere. Imagination, life is your creation. Jump in again. I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Life in plastic, it's fantastic. You can brush my hair. the con guy show con as in comic con we are hollywood filmmakers and super fans who cover all the news of the con universe including the films the tv shows the streaming series the experiences and the events that fuel your fandom if you'd find it at comic con then you'll find it here now in our seventh year the con guy show is a proud member of the eso network Welcome to some science. I um, just want to start off by apologizing to uh, our first guest, Trina L. Ray. Uh, we had some technical difficulties and lost like the first question of the interview, which was basically her introducing herself and and uh, telling what she does. So, you know, let me let me fill in the information y'all missed before the interview starts. Uh, this is the interview with Trina L. Ray. She is the Deputy Science Manager and Investigation Scientist for the Radar Instrument on NASA's Europa Clipper mission. She's worked uh, 20 years on the Cassini-Hugens uh, mission to Saturn, specializing in Titan, starting her career working on Voyager. And without further ado, uh, here is our interview. I have so many questions, I'm trying to figure out where to go. So you're on... Uh... When, when the probe that crashed into Saturn, mm -hmm. it, did, it did that mm -hmm. to eliminate and reduce the radioactive possibility of the, of, of the matter going into space. Uh, so actually not quite. Uh, so Cassini-Huygens went to the Saturn system and had an incredible run. I was on that mission for decades. Um, but there were two moons that really caught our attention. The Titan, which has just incredibly complex um, it's big chemistry. enough to be a planet. It is big enough to be a planet. It has a thick atmosphere, right? Of all the atmospheres in the solar system, there's sort of Venus, Titan, Earth, Mars. Um, and it's incredibly complex chemistry, chemically. 
So there was like, planetary protection is a group. It's an international group, and they give rules and regulations. And one of them is you have to clean spacecraft before it leaves. All kinds of stuff. That but sounds very Star Trek. Yeah, it's, it really does. And d by Fun the way, if you ever want to, yeah, if you ever want to go back, like a few years ago, they advertised for the head of planetary protection. Just that ad <laughs> for that job was spectacular. By the way, um, but anyway, Titan very interesting biologically, especially to the astrobiology biology community, and also Enceladus with its plumes connected straight to its ocean. So, you know, there were rules. You, you cannot crash into Enceladus or Titan. You have to dispose of the spacecraft, which clearly will have some Earth bugs on it, or yeah. not bugs, some Earth, um, you know, biological, yeah, biological matter on it. You, no matter how hard you clean the spacecraft, you can't get rid of it all. So you have to dispose of the spacecraft some other way. And we chose to dispose of the spacecraft by crashing into Saturn after these incredible orbits where we plunged in between the planet and the rings. Very exciting. And uh, so it wasn't the radiation or anything like that. It was the biological matter on the spacecraft. And also it was a rich scientific opportunity on the way to disposing of the spacecraft. Some interesting views on, <laughs> on the way down. Yeah. It was, uh, it, and all 22 of those orbits were incredible. Like, uh, first of all, you'd never put the spacecraft, we, we never designed the spacecraft for that. We literally had flight rules that says outside of 2.4 Saturn radius, because that's the radius of the rings, this is the rule. Because nobody was like, well, you'll never get inside of 2.4 Saturn radius, the rings are there. So literally every piece of our mission, all the processes, all the people, the spacecraft itself had to do things it was never built or intended to do. And it was all in service of this glorious uh, end of mission opportunity. And it was incredible. And like, like you said, the very last bit of data, we actually, we couldn't quite reprogram the spacecraft, but we had to, we had to sequence it so that the ion and neutral mass spectrometer would fill up. The, so normally all the instruments are filling up the bin, and when the bin fills up, then it goes out the horn, right? To this. Yeah. But we changed it so that every time the mass spectrometer put a packet in, all the other instruments put exactly the right information in so that that packet would go out. So ion and neutral mass spectrometer, boom, out to the horn, out to the earth, so that, so that the last piece of information was a sample of Saturn's atmosphere. You should be having goosebumps right now. Do you have a goosebumps? I have goosebumps. And it's been five years, right? So as crazy awesome. So you get back all this data from Cassini mm -hmm. Huygens. How long does it take scientists from NASA to look at all this data and extrapolate it all out? Are you still working on it? 100%. Uh, there will be PhDs that a bit will get, there will be uh, young scientists who get their PhDs on Cassini data for decades. Um, so there's, there's the data that you get right away. Sometimes it's the images, uh, the low-hanging fruit. Those get published very quickly. Then there's the sort of the easy data to be done, and then there's the data that's hard that you need to sort of the full, uh, you know, the full 13 years of the mission trying to understand something. Uh, so the, it, it really, it takes time. But there, it was an incredibly rich data set for the Cassini mission, and we will be data mining it for, I feel, for decades. Um, you mentioned it took, the mission was 13 years. How difficult is, is it that that when it takes so long to get somewhere, how the technology has changed in the meantime once that's, uh, you know, left the world. You know, when we're, you, know, <laughs> you send out Apple Ones and we're on like Apple 20s or whatever by the time it, the, the mission actually yep. starts. <laughs> 
So you just have to embrace it, right? <laughs> uh, it is what it is. It will be what it will be, right? Uh, NASA has a lot of um, policies that uh, drive, especially a flagship mission, to be low risk. And so they invest money in flagship missions to drive down risk. And that means you have to step your technology backward. You can't take, you know, you can't take big step forwards in technology. On smaller missions, or if you have what is called a technology demonstration, you can take a risk. Like for example, the Ingenuity helicopter on Mars 2020, mm. that was a technology demonstration. If it had completely failed, it would have been, well, that, that we learned that was the purpose of it. But of course, it was spectacularly successful. Um, so it's just the way it is. It just, and it hurts. And outer planets, outer planets are the worst <laughs> because it takes seven years to get there. So on top of the seven years it took you to get there, the, it's the four years of building, but then the three years before that is where you had to get all the approvals. So it's technology that is, you know, by the end of the Cassini mission, it was technology that is, you know, 20, 15, 20 years Maybe old. Maybe I'll just keep, like, old systems around just to... Oh, we actually, <laughs> we actually did that on Cassini on the ground system mm -hmm. towards the end of the mission. It wasn't worth it to pay the money to upgrade the ground system, so we actually went out. I'm pretty sure they went out on eBay, but I'm not 100% sure about that. <laughs> but they got these old Sun Microsystems spark stations, and they were just like, okay, let's just have a pile in the corner, and when we need to repair them, we'll just go to that pile, and that's how we'll, and that's how we'll keep our ground system going. So when the satellite uh, crashed into uh, one of the planets, mm -hmm. did it cause any damage to the planet or the satellite? So it definitely caused damage <laughs> to the satellite. Oh so uh, the planet is big, and the satellite was going <coughs> in at about 35,000 miles an hour. So basically within about one minute, the satellite went from I'm fine and I'm talking to the Earth, all of its bits got ripped apart, and then they started to melt, and it was destroyed in about one minute. But I like to think of it as it has become part of the planet that it studied for 13 years. So that's how I choose to think about it. Did it, only, it, it went around Saturn 23 times, you said? Uh, the last uh, 22 missions were these plunge okay. missions. Uh, overall, it went around 200 and okay. 250, 260 times. I don't remember anymore. A plunge mission, it would go into the atmosphere so, yeah, and get more stuff. It, it went, it was never designed to be a probe, so it, it plunged in between the planet and the rings, and on the very last one, it flew by Titan and diverted the, the, the probe, and it went into Saturn. Wow. So when it went into Saturn, it went into Saturn about 35,000 miles an hour. <laughs> and by the way, this is one of the first interviews that I've had in five years where I haven't cried when I've talked about Cassini endings. So, you know, we... we we process and we get over it at some point. Ah, not get over it. We are able to have an interview without crying. <laughs> so one time you actually lost signal of the satellite. Right? Yeah, no, right then. The, we told the spacecraft, point to Earth and tell us, keep pointing at Earth as long as you possibly can, and tell us this ion and neutral mass spectrometer data. So you programmed it? We did, and we told it to do that, and it tried. It tried really hard. You could see its thrusters firing. Oh, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine, and then pretty soon, its thrusters were firing at full, trying to keep mm. the spacecraft pointed, and then it got... But since there's no gravity in Earth... Uh, no, there's so gravity at right. Saturn, yeah. Oh, there and is on, on Saturn. Saturn? Absolutely, there's gravity. There's gravity everywhere, but especially when you're close to a planet, uh, there's gravity. In fact, it was the gravity of Titan that allowed us to change the trajectory to crash the planet. To, but uh, the but then how did it crash on Saturn? It just went... It's a big gas planet, so it just went into the atmosphere really, really, really fast. And because the atmosphere uh, is hot enough, it rips it apart. If I can just toss, 
gas planet. Yes. Is there a solid thing? Um, or it's gas? Yeah, so it's... For, for kids right. in middle school, that's confusing. Yeah, so it's a gas no. planet, but as you get closer to the center, the gas gets hotter and thicker and, and more dense. And then right at the center, there's, there's a solid, but it's very, very deep. So there's a little solid ball with a bunch of gas. And, but the gas gets like, so it's solid, then there's liquid gas. And then there's gas gas, but it's huge gas gas, and then liquid gas, and then solid. It's crazy, yeah. What advice would you give middle school, high school students that want to get into working with NASA or one of the other civilian space companies that have popped up? So uh, the advice that I would give uh, to middle school is study hard. Uh, it's uh, a competitive field and you have to uh, work hard at it. Uh, you don't have to be the most brilliant at it, right? You don't have to be a genius, you have to work hard. Uh, the geniuses don't have to work very hard they're, because they're good at it. Those of us who are not at genius level, we have to work harder, so study hard. Uh, find out if you really like it. So when you're in college, go ahead and do internships with uh, NASA or with other uh, private companies. Uh, because you might not like it. You might think you like it, but you might not. Uh, and then the other thing is that there are a lot of opportunities. It's not just NASA. It's not just SpaceX. There's a lot of places out there, Lockheed Martin. There's a lot of companies that are adjacent to, uh, to NASA and provide uh, services to them. And so it's, uh, it's not just um, working at a NASA center. But uh, internships and study hard, those are the keys. So what's the... Uh the Clipper mission. What's the current? Uh, we, we've talked about Cassidy. What's like the current thing we're working? You're working on? I am. Yes, Clipper mission is in a very exciting time right now. We are in the building of the spacecraft, so uh, we, uh, you know, all the pieces have come together, almost all the pieces, and they are delivering. The I think this is our last one. All the pieces have come together, and we're delivering. There's a camera in the high bay, and you can watch it being built 24/7. It's called Clipper Cam, and you can watch it being built 24/7. So we are in the integration phase. Uh, and testing phase, and just last week, they did their first test with all the instruments on and pretending that it was a flyby. They pretended it was E-18, the 18th flyby of Europa, and all the instruments went on and they did a whole test. Nice. And so I was on a plane flying into Atlanta. I landed and all my friends were like, oh, like, do you want to go? And I'm like, no, I want to go to the hotel. <laughs> I'm going to go to the hotel and I'm going to log in and I want to watch this test. Um, and, it was, and it went fine, right? Uh, first time, all the instruments on, all the instruments operating as if it was a flyby. So we are building and testing uh, at JPL. We will leave for the Cape around May of next year. We'll launch, uh, our launch window opens on October 10th uh, of next year. It'll take us about five or six years to get out to uh, the Jupiter system. And so we'll go in, we'll do a couple of Ganymede flybys to shrink the orbit, and then we'll start doing Europa flybys every 21 days. That's so, awesome. Yes. All right, I got the sign from Tillman that we're well, wrapping. Thank you for your time. If you Absolutely. have any uh, social medias you want to uh, tell uh, people to follow. Uh, Trina at JPL is the only uh, is the only one that I have, and uh, it's the Twitter. Well, I guess it's not Twitter anymore, but I don't do a ton of social media. So, Thanks. yeah, well, thank you guys so much. Right, cool. Thank, thank you. you. Yep, absolutely. And now it's time for Blowing Smoke. And welcome to the show. We are here, uh, all of us here, with uh, Mr. Steve Jackson of Steve Jackson Games. How's it going today, sir? It goes well, considering it's the third day of Dragon <laughs> Con. Uh, I had four hours of sleep last night, and yeah, I'm just... All <laughs> about the same boats. <laughs> ready to go. 
These Sunday morning interviews are always interesting. In that <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess we'll kick it off with an easy one, though. Like, what made you get into games? Like, what, what was the uh, start of all this? Uh, I got into games really in college. The guys in my dorm played a lot of Risk and similar games, and one of them was experimenting with this new strange thing called Dungeons and Dragons Mm -hmm. that we gave a little attention to. And then I found that there was a game club at the university, started playing a lot of Traveler. One thing led to another, grades went down. (laughs) (laughs) As it usually happens. Except for math, like usually you know, Dungeons and Dragons helps with uh, <laughs> probabilities. and I, I had probabilities and statistics nailed, but it wasn't, uh, that wasn't making any difference there. Calculus, let's not talk about calculus. <laughs> yeah. I was a criminal justice major. I, math was not my <laughs> pursuit. If y'all just want to to that end in math, correct me if I'm wrong, but I read one, I read somewhere that what led you to develop games and to kind of go away from D&D was the math, to make a game that was more accessible and approachable without needing complex rules. Is that accurate? Uh, it's been through the telephone a couple of times. It's, <laughs> it's not completely wrong. I think it would be better to say that in general I wanted simpler rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, math is good, but you've got to bury the math within a texted description of what the players are playing and have the math come out in ways that that support it intuitively rather than having a layer of paragraphs and then, oh yes, now run this formula and you will find your murder coefficient for the next, you don't want to do that. <laughs> I just want to kick open some doors. <laughs> We compare two numbers, your kick and their door. <laughs> Simple. That's what I like. I can take the next one. Um, yeah, so uh, going from playing Risk in college on Dungeons and Dragons, um, uh, it, was there any like formal study of game theory um, that you brought into your there original w- games? Or? <laughs> there was not. Game theory as a higher branch of mathematics mm-hmm. had been around for a long time, but there was no crossover worth mentioning between game theory and college students playing games. Right. <laughs> and then as, sorry to kind of piggyback, but um, as, uh, as you've um, developed more and more games, has that been um, a conversation that you've had with the other developers about looking at at other pieces of game theory to bring it in, or has it been just a largely organic process? It's been, I mean, both. It's been very organic. At the same time, we talk about whether the academics have anything to teach us. A lot of game theory reduces down to presenting a very simple but perhaps untenable choice. And that's not necessarily what we want to do with our games. We'd rather give them two untenable choices, or two tenable choices, and make them choose one. Um, <clears throat> what is, is there like a, 
What is your process for creating a game? Do we start with a mechanic, or do we start with a, an a visual aesthetic and find something that fits with that design? Like, or does it vary from project Very to project? Very good question. It varies from project to project, but my overall style is to come up with a visual or a story. And the stories can be like, there are zombies. And then, okay, what about zombies? Well, they eat the flesh of the living. You flee them. You kill them with shotguns. Uh, they, they can multiply. And the next thing you know, you've got the outline of a story. Zombie dice used all those except multiplying zombies. They didn't, that wasn't needed in that story. But some of the best designers working come up with a mechanic that they want to use. They notice a, a clever combination that can happen when, for instance, you're rolling two six-siders and a 12-sider, and they build a game around that. And I say, how did he do that? <laughs> so yeah, there's like because that's not different that's sides not of the, the coin. You have some people it. that are basically like engineers that are like, all right, here's a thing. Now let me figure out how to make it appealable. And then the, the artist that's like, let's do a game about this, and then figure out the 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 engineering part of it later. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. And sometimes there is no engineering part to follow, or I don't see it, and the game languishes. Mm-hmm. Just finding that balance between the two that uh, breeds success. Mm-hmm. Because you've got to find a nice way to put it in, into some kind of randoming, randomization device, which might, it might be dice or it might be something fancy like the Jenga Tower, or it might just be the way people are given different, different information at the start of the game and choose to put them in. No, that wasn't read. And out of that, we build a story. How do you and your company, how did you, when video games start to, started to become a thing, how did you incorporate that, I guess, that paradigm shift of gaming into the company's focus? With moderate to poor success, Um, I was an old friend of Richard Garriott, who you know is Lord British. He and I were in the same SCA group together. And as he got his computer game company off the ground, I continued to work with my physical game company. And we were friends, and we wanted to work together. So he ended up doing digital versions of Ogre and of Car Wars. They were both moderately successful, but Richard decided that he would rather not take any further licenses, that they would like to just create their own worlds, like Ultima grew to be, for instance. Mm -hmm. And uh, after that, our development languished for a few years. We're, We're getting it back. We have a digital version of Munchkin that's on Steam now, and that seems to be doing pretty well. This is about the third attempt to license Munchkin for digital games. And the first two, I could have told them, I could have told them, I did told them. Uh, The Munchkin character, Spike, is beloved of Munchkin players, but he's not Mickey Mouse. 
he's not enough to carry a franchise on his own. You wouldn't have Spike World. Uh, so a computer Munchkin game really has to be about Munchkin and about the things that happen in Munchkin for the players to feel satisfied. And that was such like a social experience too that it's like it's That's almost like, it's almost hard hard to play digitally because it's like ha- half of the fun of Munchkin is being in the room with your friends and arguing over trying to you know make deals to to fight yeah. the monsters or screw over your buddies. It's like <laughs> the Steam version lets you do that anyway, which is why it's catching I'm on. Check that. I haven't haven't oh, I haven't tried that one yet. Look at it. It's uh, it's recommended. Oh. Could we go around the table better late than never so I know who all I'm uh, speaking to? Uh, Joe Harris, Brad Jackson, uh, Cigar Nerds uh, podcast. Uh. Mm-hmm. Oh, you guys yeah. uh, Jeffrey Venture from the Convention Collective. Trey Borelli with Daddy Mojo. I'm Jake. I'm with him. <laughs> okay. I'm Charlotte and I'm with him. <laughs> Welcome. So... What can I tell you about the about what's coming up next, or about the process of uh, making a game? Oh, what what's the uh, the new the new thing? What's uh what's uh, coming out? Well, this box that I'm holding up that you can't see on your uh, <laughs> audio screen. Follow us on Instagram. But and I will Facebook hold up. <laughs> see this later. This is Drew the game. It looks like everybody here is old enough to remember Gru the comic book, if yeah. you happen to be around. Gru is this lovable barbarian pastiche of Conan. When Gru comes to town, it's always bad news. He doesn't mean any harm. So he will train your army and they will run away in fear. He will help you put up a building and it will collapse. He's, he's bad news. <laughs> so the game is a city builder game with cards representing the various well buried we put this up real good the various kinds of buildings that you might have in a little medieval town and Drew is the wild card who goes floating around and uh, knocks them down you can build armies of your own to get in on the knocking down action but Drew is superior to any army are we all right to take a few uh-huh, of these? Uh-huh. And right off the bat, we've got the tax collector. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> this is a production version. It always comes up. Uh, <laughs> hit the store suit. It's on job. the boat, right? Is this an old game? Yes. This game was originally produced something like uh, 25 years ago, and then it went out of print and it just languished. And I thought I will use my great evil publisher powers to make a deal and bring it back and that was what would happen. We did that on WizWar too. WizWar is even older. WizWar has been out for about 40 years and it's a fun game. It's a tactical game. You put up to six wizards in a stone labyrinth and then they cast spells until one survives. Um, <clears throat> I mean you're obviously a, a player yourself. Is there a What's a game outside of ones you've created or worked on that do you have a favorite uh, non-original uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, game? Yeah, um, I like Century for a quick game. I like Terraforming Mars for a slow game. 
because that's very well thought out and very. Uh, I've never won terraforming, but I'm going to keep trying. <laughs> it's the journey, not the destination, right? <laughs> yes. And uh, Irene showed me a great game last night called Innis, which is uh, Celtic explorers coming onto an unknown island. Check it's that like, one out. Yes, if it's if settlers of Catan were fun. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> one thing I was down in the gaming room yesterday, and one thing I found fascinating was that you were down there, and you were either you were engaging, you were playing with some of the participants. I presume you were teaching them, and mm -hmm. I just found that akin to like a, a Scorsese at a at a what? Sorry, because I've got about two minutes. Okay, two. Uh, it was akin to like a, a, a famous director at a film festival who you don't expect it. What do you get from the fans down there? Uh, energy. Enthusiasm, sometimes new ideas, just uh, new new input that I won't get if I just sit at my computer. Also, I get to play the new games. <laughs> Any questions from the youth? They got it. They don't hatch you. They don't hatch you. Uh, I'll, I'll shoot one out here. Um, so. Uh, Munchkin has been uh, adapted to a number of different versions at this point. Yes. Um, uh, More coming. Awesome. Um, is there any other show, movie, or I, um, other IP, any like, you know, huge dream kind of um, IP that you would love to make a, a game around, whether it's a Munchkin version or an independent game? Well, I'd love to do a good Star Wars game. I don't think that's going to happen because it's big IP. <laughs> it's it's a big IP and it's been mass marketized mm -hmm. to the point where they they probably don't feel that there's a market for what I would consider a good game. Uh, this some of these Star Wars games are good for what they are, but I admire the franchise. Mm, I'd like to see Firefly come back and sometime like its original form. Ditto bad five. <laughs> yes. Get get on to those and get people working. Um, I would uh, just kill for the opportunity to keep making more Munchkin games. People like them. Love and it. Yeah, we we have, look forward to playing them. <laughs> we have Munchkin Paranoia coming up late next year. That'll be a kick. Munchkin Shadowrun coming up sooner than that. Yeah, I don't know. I always enjoy all the unique spin-offs and everything else. And the fact, too, that it's unlike some of the other games you have referenced from other people. It's like, no, everything could be integrated. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, some of the just the parties where you just everyone brings a different box of Munchkin and just mix them together and whatever randomness <laughs> randomness <laughs> happens is, is whatever, it, it, just the artwork too on it too is happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well I guess as we kind of wrap up here uh, where can people find you buy your games follow all the things y'all do I will turn it over to the social media expert <laughs> <laughs> is the social media expert ready this morning Awaken. oh yeah, uh, we're we're on all the social medias. Uh, Facebook, the thing that used to be called Twitter. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can always find us at sjgames.com. We have the Daily Illuminator and several email newsletters where you can get updates on uh, our various games. 
Uh, you can always find us at Warehouse 23 or your friendly local game store. And, uh, the Daily Illuminator appears to be the oldest continuing blog in the world. Congratulations. Yes. Congratulations. <laughs> the oldest blog on the World Wide Web, specifically. Okay, where else would there be a blog? Uh, other other internets that are not the World Wide Web. No. <laughs> we don't count that. Okay, point taken. We don't understand that either. So, so. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Thank you for your time. Oh, this has much. been an enlightening interview, uh, and yeah, hope you enjoy the rest of your con. I hope so too. It's been fun so far. Any last questions? Where did your inspiration for Munchkin come from? Oh, that's a good question. Um, for Munchkin, I wanted to do a game that would be a satire on bad Dungeons and Dragons. I didn't want to satire good D&D because people can have a lot of fun with good D&D. But I wanted to make fun of the kind where you just go charging down, kicking down doors, and killing everything for the experience points and going, I leveled up, I leveled up, <laughs> and arguing about the rules all the time. And I said, well, I'll do a game where that's the purpose of it. <laughs> and uh, when you take all of the stupid role-playing out, it proves that what you have left is a pretty good game. Did you create Munchkins because you wanted uh, uh, to create a game that's funny, or you created it for some wood? Could I create monsters because I no, want the game to... Uh, the, the game that you played, uh, that you made. Okay, I'm not following the question, I'm sorry. Was, I think he's asking, was the root of the game through action or comedy? Ah, the root of the game was through comedy. I wanted a silly game to be a satire on D&D. &D. And then we made up silly monsters to go with it. Thank you. Thank you. And welcome back. We are here with Benjamin Radford. Uh, tell the people who you are, what you do, and why you're here at DragonCon. <laughs> who I am, what I do. Um, I have many hats, as they say. <laughs> I am the deputy editor for Skeptical Inquirer Science Magazine. It's, a, it's published by a nonprofit educational organization uh, based in Buffalo. I'm also a folklorist, uh, and I in investigate weird things, uh, ranging from chupacabras to ghosts to urban legends and uh and things like that so yeah folklorist that how did you get into that as a career field uh? <laughs> yeah it's 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 weird because a lot of people they don't know what folklore is uh and it's like if people you're part of like so you're a folklorist like that's fairy tales that's what, what <laughs> yeah. it, like what what you know they they there's like it just it's a are we talking um, the Iliad, yeah, the Odyssey. Right, uh, exactly, right. <laughs> so if you're a doctor, people know there. If you're a lawyer, but your folklore is like, yeah, what is that, right? <laughs> um, actually, the, the answer is that um, I really uh, be began to get interested in folklore through urban legends, which is a, a subcategory, subgenre. Uh, and uh, a, a friend of mine, uh, Jan Brunvand, is sort of considered the the godfather of, of urban legends, and he's written a bunch of books, uh, the Choking Doberman. Um, all sorts of ones. And he collected a lot of research, particularly in the, in the 70s and 80s, about different legends and stories that circulated around. And I was intrigued by that because I recognized that 
that some of the th- things he was writing about were stories that I heard as true. Like, well, that's that's not a legend. That's true. It's like, oh, yeah, it's always like, right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, I heard this from a guy that, that heard it from a guy. It's always it's always you know based on a true story. Is exactly. the, the the Hollywood <laughs> the, the, <laughs> tagline right? The, the folk tale, the friend of yeah. friend tale. And that intrigued me because I realized that, you know, the things I was hearing as as a teenager and as a young adult as being like, no, this really happened. Like, people study that. This is, <laughs> this is, this is you know, this is actually an, a, an object of study. Uh, and probably the most famous urban legend is the Vanishing Hitchhiker story, which is known all around the world. And there's different versions or variants of it. But the basic one is uh, where there will be uh, – usually it's a couple driving on a moonless night or a full moon night. Take your pick. On a lonely country road, and uh, and there will be someone who's uh, who's uh, sort of this sort of forlorn character, maybe a young girl, uh, who's by the side of the road is clearly cold. We should pull over and make sure they're okay. Uh, and she says, you know, can, can we help you? And uh, and the person says, yes, you know. And I just live down the road. And sometimes they'll point to a a, a farmhouse in the distance. And oh hey no problem we'll we'll get you there you know and uh, so they drive and drive, but the the passenger is strangely silent. They're driving and driving like they're not saying anything. This, this is kind of <laughs> weird, and so they turn around as they approach this this farmhouse in the distance and they're gone, the vanishing hitchhiker, and they're like oh this is weird like the door didn't open I mean it's we're tuck and roll <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. there's some sort of stuntman thing going on there, right. <laughs> So they don't know what to make of it, but they're, they're at this farmhouse, and so they pull in, and it's, it's late at night, and they don't know what's going on. So they're like, well, she said she lived here, sort of indicated that, so they knock on the door. And uh, eventually uh, a, a woman comes in, comes up there and says, um, yeah, we picked up this girl hitchhiking just a little bit. She said she lived here. Um, do you know anything about that? It's like, no, that sounds like Julia. <laughs> Julia died 20 years ago on this very night. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and then you have this sort of, and in some versions of the story, there will be a, a shawl or a coat that's just inside the door that they saw when they picked her up. And this sort of connects. And that's one of the, that's one of the, the, the characteristics of an urban legend is there's a twist. Right? There's a twist at the end. There's like, they thought it was a dream, but it was real. <laughs> so that's, 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 that's what that is there, exactly. Like a lot of these that are, have spread wide and far had kind of have similar elements is there any kind of like i don't know science behind like why do these stories all kind of have just a little bit of the same kind of flavor to them yeah there's actually a lot a lot to that i mean one of the characteristics of urban legends is that they have regional variants that is um the same story just to take the the vanishing hitchhiker story i just told you uh you'll hear that same story told in boston in atlanta uh, in in Sweden, in in Brazil, and it's always localized. So you know that really happened, but it happened down the road. So <laughs> it, so the story isn't that it happened in some far off country. It's like no, that that happened here. Like you know, a friend of mine knows this. Right, my my girlfriend's cousin's gardener's mechanic. You know, this happened to them, and and that does a couple things. Number one, it makes it more realistic, more plausible, because again, it's something that that is. You know, this, this happened just down there, right? It's not some far off place. Tailor to your audience, uh. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and and that helps to get to keep it spreading around. And also, urban legends tend to be uh, realistic in so far as they they involve everyday occurrences. So there aren't, for example, urban legends about space travel. There's not urban legends about dragons. But we all might pick up a hitchhiker or have to hitchhiker ourselves, right? Or... right. Yeah, less so these days. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but but yeah, and so and it's interesting. So, so there, there's you know you can go back and you can look at some of the origins of these, um, and you know with with urban legends and, and a lot of folklore, it's hard to definitively nail it down, right? Someone says, you know, when did this legend originate? <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, that was uh, that was September fifteenth, nineteen seventy two. Right. Like no, like these are because just they, passed down from generation to generation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, so that's why there's, there's there's a lot of cases in which there's no real definitive like this came from here, but you can trace them back, right? So you can say, okay, well, we know this this urban legend, for example, circulated in you know eighteen fifty. In, in Belgium, because we have a written record of someone right. talking about this. But folklore, tip, it, again, is typically, a, it literally means lore of the people, right? It's, it's, it's the vernacular. It's stuff that the everyday people we've been talking about. That's why it makes great music. Always tells a story. Yeah, tells a story, <laughs> and, it, and it, it, it's, it's, it's a grassroots thing, right? It's, it's stories that are told about people in power, about supernatural things, about revenge, and things like that. So that's sort of where the twist comes in, and, and there's... There, again, there's usually uh, a twist. There's a there's a humorous you know element to it. There's a bit of revenge. Uh, in some cases, there's a lot of these urban legends can be really xenophobic and and racist. Um, you, you, there's ones talking about you know the how dirty uh, uh, the other people are. Yeah. Now, who are the other people? Take your pick. And it seems it like some of these told. were developed as let's say like a mo- morality tale. We don't want the teenagers yeah. getting into trouble, so we're going to start this story about you know. Teenagers getting abducted, or you know, organ. It, it kind of starts off as a, uh, a, a scary tale for kids to yeah. like you know, for safety, and then it just takes on a life of its own. And hundred years later, we're still it's telling the much more <laughs> evolved version story. of the telephone game. Yeah. yeah, every time the story goes, it just little something changes. Exactly, and and you know, as you're pointing out, is that there's often a, there's a the underground there's sort of underlying morality tale, right? It's like you know. Because who do bad things happen to? It's the horny teenagers in <laughs> yeah. a car. And Every horror movie ever has told us that story. Right. <laughs> the hook-handed killer isn't hanging around with the middle-aged married couple. No, he's no, no. harassing the, the teenagers at the makeout spot. Exactly. Um, well, we've talked about you know some of those urban legends. Do you have a favorite cryptid? I do have a favorite cryptid. Um, I, I wrote a book titled Tracking Chupacabra. So the Chupacabra is my favorite cryptid. Um, I, I did a whole book on it. We could talk for, I don't know, do we have, do we have the place booked for four hours? Cause we could do another yeah, eight, 10 minutes. Okay. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's one, of, one of my favorites, partly because it's a new creature. Uh, so unlike Bigfoot, which has only been around since arguably the 1950s, maybe forties or the Loch Ness monster, which has been around since about the thirties, the Chupacabra has only been around since 1995. So uh, yeah, it's a very yeah. It's one of those you assume it's a older legend like exactly. Bigfoot or or, or Loch Exactly. I, I didn't know he was that young. Yeah, most people don't. <laughs> yeah, you can you can barely buy beer, right? Um, and actually, in merch, uh, even though a lot of people think that the chupacabra because it's you know Spanish for goat yeah. sucker, uh, don't Google that by the way. <laughs> um, uh, a lot of people assume that it's a Mexican legend, but in yeah. fact, it's from Puerto Rico. So it's, it's actually an American legend that only dates back to the '90s. So I. Anyway, that that was what intrigued me about it was you have this, the, the this creature that's really well known. It's probably the second best known creature after say Nessie or Bigfoot, um, and yet it's this it emerged very very recently. And the other part that I found really interesting about it is that it's a vampire, right? Bigfoot's not a vampire. 
Nessie's not a vampire. Mothman's yeah. not a vampire. And mix the supernatural with the... Uh... <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I'm like, this is really cool. And, and because it's a vampire, or allegedly a vampire, uh, it should be leaving dead bodies. I mean, that's, that's what vampires do. I mean, they're not zombies. So, so, so if these are real, and there can't be more than one of them, right? There has to be breeding population and you know, all the biological constraints. Then, then that means that there should be piles and piles, stacks of dead animals that have, have been exsanguinated, as I like to say, because it's a fun, fun, fun thing to say, uh, by chupacabras. Um, and yet... <laughs> Well, I mean, human vampires turn people into other vampires. Maybe we just got a whole bunch of like vampire goats running around, and then the sun just takes care of it in the morning. That's why we got no bodies. I like that theory. <laughs> That's the new one. I'm going to update my book. I love that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the writing and the uh, – you said you've written some books. Yep. Like, Tell us about your, 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 your kind of – skeptic writing career uh like how how do how did you get into i mean what came first were you a writer and then like you know i like this uh right this folklore stuff or did the folklore like now i gotta write this down no that's a that's a great question and actually they sort of they sort of came about at the same time um i really sort of trace it back to being my teens and i was an avid reader uh you know go and take my 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 books uh go to the local used bookstore and I would I would buy all these used books on you know mysteries of the world and you know oh, yeah. paranormal and Bigfoot and Sasquatch and UFOs. I I take these books and I you know just armloads of them. I take them back in the summer. I read them all. I'm like oh this is so cool wild stuff. Oh, what are time life mysteries? I, right, I yeah, the whole bunch of those. Yeah, we, we we all had those people. And and so I had these. But as I would read these, I would I would sort of become disillusioned because I would realize there was very little investigation. It was all like it is said that, and you know somebody said that, and I'm like. Hold on here. You you want me to believe there's a monster in this lake? You want me to believe that aliens are abducting people, doing butt stuff, whatever? Give me some evidence for this, right? Not just sort of like you just said that. So that sort of that sort of led me to to taking these mysteries seriously and wanting to investigate them from a scientific point of view, and also writing them up because I realized that you know science progresses on on people writing stuff up on you know in, in the hard sciences it's in journals and peer-reviewed things you know someone writes something about cell biology or physics or whatever else and other people reference it and build on it and i tried to apply that model to mysteries and say okay well in the same way we can we can look at mysteries and cryptids and ghosts and weird stuff like that and try to build a knowledge base so that other researchers and other investigators who are trying to do this scientifically and yeah, actually solve the mystery can build on that you know very little like hard proof but preponderance of evidence is a, you know, a exactly. legal term we use and that's kind of yeah the more evidence you have the more you know you can never can't say it's a hundred percent true but exactly. yeah if you've got a pile of evidence it's pretty likely exactly <laughs> more likely than not um talked about chupacabra being new is there any other like i'm talking like brand new like who's the new kid on the block uh, the new kid on the block. well a a newish kid on the block is slender man Yes, that's, to, to to bring this back to folklore, in the age of the, created in the age of the internet. Uh. Yes, yes, <laughs> and uh, and one of the interesting things about Slenderman is that unlike these other cryptids, I mean, you know, we, in in my in my book Tracking Chupacabra, I mean, I can I can I can pinpoint the first time that it was actually sighted because uh, it's a very specific date on it, but in most cases, it's they're sort of it's all sort of ambiguous and this and that. In the case of Slenderman, because it's an internet creation and creepy pasta. We know the exact, like, down to the second when this guy, Victor Surge, which is a pseudonym, created this, this figure. 
uh, which then, you know, because of the nature of the Internet, other people co-opt it and they tell stories and they, you know, turns into sort of a, a democratized, you know, Internet crowdsourced monster. Um, even to the point in which you make, you guys remember uh, in um, in I think Wisconsin, two two yeah, girls, yeah, the murder, the yeah, supposedly murdered one of their classmates. Yeah, for, they, they tried to they <laughs> tried to summon Slender, Slender Man. Yeah, and uh, and you know, and again, it was a horrific case. I think the girls were I think twelve and thirteen or something. Uh, they recently got out of prison, uh, but yeah, and, and so they were they were caught up in this whole Slender Man mythos. Uh, and apparently believed that it was real insofar as they were going to summon him by killing their friend. All right, last question before they kick us out of here. I think we have two more minutes. Uh, we've said everything has like a touch of the truth. Is there anything you've looked into that you assumed was folklore and found out, oh, no, this really happened. This this is a, a true oh, tale. That's a good question. Um, there's a couple that jump out at me. I know we don't have much time, but I, one quick one was um, – uh, I remember I was investigating ghosts. Uh, I, was, excuse, I was investigating lake monsters in Newfoundland, in Canada. Uh, I did a book called Lake Monster Mysteries, and one of the chapters is on this place called Crescent Lake, which again is near this place called Roberts Arm in Newfoundland. And um, I was looking into it, and I realized. Uh, so I, I was actually there investigating and interviewing people, and I realized that a lot of the the descriptions were sort of similar. They're sort of this. They're sort of flat. Um, shiny, dark thing that looked kind of like an eel. Uh, not all of them, but a lot of them were sort of consistent. And so I'm, I'm talking to a local guy who's been there forever. It's like, so, um, uh, you know, I understand that there's, there's less, there's this monster there. He said, could it be, you know, do you have giant eel in the lake? He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, do you... Do you think, Why didn't you pick that? Right, fish? right. Do, do you think maybe this, do you think maybe this lake monster is a giant eel? I was like, oh, that's possible. I'm like... <laughs> Oh, I, that's I think, what it was. Yeah, all this time. I, with all due respect, I think I may have solved your mystery yeah. here because if there's a giant eel in the lake and it looks like a lake monster, then what do we make of this? <laughs> well, thank you for our t- your time. Um, where can people find you? Buy your books, read your read sure. your stuff, plug all the socials, all the good stuff. Yeah, so I have a podcast called Squaring the Strange. Uh, I am one of uh, arguably three co-hosts. Um, the other one being Celestia Ward. And, uh, yes, I have, uh, I, you can go to BenjaminRadford.com. Uh, I'm on most of the socials. My MySpace page has not been updated. I apologize <laughs> for that. But other than that, you can find me on Facebook and the Twitters and also Skeptical Horror Magazine. All right. Thank you for being here, and we'll be right back. And this has been the Cigar Nerds Podcast. Check us out on CigarNerdPodcast.com. We're also on the ESO Network at ESONetwork.com. We're on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Cigar Nerd Pod. Uh, and we're on the YouTube, of course, at Cigar Nerd Podcast. Get your energy drinks at StrikeForceEnergy.com, promo code Cigar Nerds. Get your shirts at RealMenSmokeCigars.com. And with that, you have been fined one credit for a violation of the verbal morality code. Fuckers. And this has been a recording of the Cigar Nerd Podcast. We're your hosts, Smokin' Joe and Brad Jackson. Join us next time for more adventures in nerddom. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.